Let's set our Bibles this evening to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. And um, here's that. There's uh, some notes if you like those. I think um, just put your hand up if you want the notes for tonight. I was wondering what, uh, what Phil was waving. Looking around, uh, I was thinking maybe some others need to move forward. Was that what he was saying? But no, he's just the notes. All right, good to see you tonight, and uh, appreciate just uh, how how the Lord and what He does with salvation is He just He makes those things that really are uh, a grief to Him. He He casts that aside and He forgives sin and He changes us. And um, you know, I think there's a powerful thing to, to observe people's testimonies of what they were prior to salvation to who they are now in Christ. And just uh, thinking about that song that was sung just then and um, you know, recently had the opportunity to begin the year a little bit different, headed over to a youth camp in Sydney. And uh, again, just always love youth camp. I think it's a, it's a, a time where God can greatly work. And by the way, appreciate the church praying for our high school camp this past week and one of our young men got saved so year seven boy so praise the lord for that and so we're looking forward to following him up and, and just ministering to him but um, you know he called upon the lord and uh, recently as i mentioned i was at a youth camp and just had a tremendous time there and uh, one of the one of the things that we got to see was just several of those young people get saved and one particular one who Honestly, if you ask me at the beginning of the week, if, if there were some that I thought was a bit hard and a bit cold and a bit uninterested, um, there was one particular one that, that I, could have, I could have named. There was a few, but there was one particular one. It just didn't seem like he was there. But by the end of the, of the week, he was one of those that raised his hand for salvation. And just immediately, um, just the change and I was talking to the fellow who had gone through the gospel with him, and he said that the same thing. He said, you know, he raised his hand, and so I got him, and we sat down, and we started to go through the scriptures, and just it just seemed like nothing. And then, then we went through it, but he, he looked like he, he wanted to go through and get saved, and then by the end of it, he, he prayed, and he said when he opened his eyes, it was like there was a new person in there. And um, this, this young boy, he was really into his music and uh, really into a lot of um, heavy metal stuff and, and screamer music and all of that, and he loved his, uh, his guitar. But that night after camp, he texted one of the leaders, and he said, you know what, um, I think I should please God with my music. And he said, can you send me some worship songs that I can learn on guitar? And right there in the evening, he, he began to learn a new, and he got, he videoed himself, he sent it to the leader. And just immediately that, you became, he became a new creature in Christ. And just the, the power of the gospel. And I want to tell you that the gospel still works. And I um, and hope that you would just go, go boldly into the week. And, you know, we, there, there are still people to reach. And we ought, to, we ought to just go ahead and just pray, but be, be active in sharing the gospel. But the, the, the reality is often when we go about and we, uh, we go forward even in a decision for the Lord or 
we go forward in, in trying to obey him, sometimes in, in the process of that, we understand what needs to happen next. But sometimes there's a bit of a, a waiting period. You know, you've ever, have you ever um, understood something from the Lord? And maybe in this occasion, what we, we were talking about, you're desiring someone's salvation. And you know that's the right thing. God said that He's not slack concerning His promise, that all shall come to repentance. That's his, your desire for that person's salvation is not as great as God's desire for that person to get saved. And so you, you understand that that's the right thing. It's God's will to, to, to do that. But sometimes there's a waiting. And sometimes, sometimes in that waiting, we can sort of balk at the occasion and the opportunity. And, and, and there's a little bit of that as we think about the, the rest of the story now. I know it's been a while since we've been in the book of Ruth. And again, um, just, just for the sake of review a little bit, you understand the situation. Uh, Ruth follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, after some tragic circumstances in Moab. And they, they come back now to Jerusalem, uh, to, to Bethlehem. And they come back in, in, their, in, in Naomi's hometown. She's bitter now at all of the situations that she's found herself in. And yet what we find is Ruth, who is devoted now to the Lord. And Ruth, who has a great... Uh, a, a great commitment to God now is, is starting to see the outworking of God's grace in her life. And, and it's starting to affect uh, Naomi who comes back bitter, but God's starting to work a little bit into her heart as God works in the heart and life of Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And you remember the, the story, the, the, it just so happened that she gleaned in the field of her near kinsman Boaz and Ruth relays this story that, you know, this Boaz, who was the landowner, who was the one that was the near kinsman to them, had taken some interest in Ruth. And so Naomi gives her a little bit of advice. You know, she says, do this and do that, and you're going to find something. And we, we, last time we were in this, we were in chapter 3. Ruth goes ahead and follows the advice of Naomi. Some interest happens there, and they've now started to discuss as, as Ruth sits at the feet of Boaz, that, that position of humility and that position of, of really asking for his protection and for his provision in her life, there's now some traction and she finds that actually Boaz is very agreeable to that. He says a lot of things that reinforces that regarding, uh, regarding Ruth. Notice uh, with me now in um, in verse 10, Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, and he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. He, he noticed that about, uh, about Ruth, that she was faithful to just be, be of good character. And in verse 11, Now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. He's saying, I am interested in you. I am interested in, in, in uh, protecting you and, and being, being uh, the one that is that near kinsman. But he says in verse 12, there is an issue. He says, and now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. And, and again, we studied a little bit about that whole idea of, of, uh, of, uh, of that provision in the, the law, where if there's someone who is destitute like that and they uh, no longer have a husband, then someone who is the nearest kinsman can actually take on the care and even the marriage of that one who is destitute. 
And so what we find is that's happening, but Boaz brings something to her attention. No, there's someone nearer. There's someone who actually has the better claim to you. And, and again, we, we'll take the time maybe in, in, uh, when we get to chapter 4 to th- think about that, that nearer kinsman that he's speaking about, how that's a type of something. But what Boaz does is he, he tells Ruth, you know, tarry this night, just wait a little bit. And it's going to be in the morning that I'm going to perform unto thee, the part of a kinsman, well. But let him do the kinsman's part. So he's saying, I'm going to go ask this fella if he's, he's going to perform the duty of the kinsman toward you. And if he does, great. Your, your needs will be met. And, and again, Boaz's heart wasn't just for himself. It was really for Ruth. It was really so that Ruth can be looked after and be taken care of and and again, the, the greater picture of, of Boaz is just the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's our Redeemer, who's our kinsman, who's the one who actually took on the responsibility of saving us, of providing for our need. And, and we see that Boaz's heart was always, always about meeting the need of the one who was most needy. And so Ruth is now found in this chapter of, of occasion and opportunity. This chapter where things are seemingly falling into place, and yet there's a bit of a catch. And what Ruth finds herself is she's now in this mode of having to see the opportunity so close and be in a place where there's a bit of waiting, a bit of having to see what happens next. And, and perhaps we've all been in that situation. You know, you've understood that this was a possibility even in God's will. You've understood that as you've sought the Lord and you've sought uh, the, 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 the right desires to come to be, that sometimes even in those right desires and even when you see that what the, the good next step should be, that sometimes God puts us on hold and He makes us wait. And there's needful things to be taken care of that we don't fully understand and we don't fully see. And what we find here is just Ruth's response and some of the interactions that happens now that we can learn from. And what it is, is is there's a development here of Ruth's hope. You know, the thing that gets affected when we're told to wait is, is how our hope will be. You know, there's a lot of people who understand that, that the, the, uh, the, the rapture will come and there's going to be the second coming. And yet, the Bible tells us that there are some of those in Second Peter chapter 3 that who are willingly ignorant. Why? Because they say he, he was going to come and we're still waiting. And, and sometimes we tire of, the, of waiting. Sometimes we tire of the fact that things don't just come. And in our world today that's got a bit of a consumeristic mindset where we think things should just happen instantly, where where things that are perhaps promised and opportunities that come should immediately open up right now when it's convenient. That sometimes actually in even trying to take on the opportunities that God gives to us, the occasion will dictate that we wait. The occasion will dictate that we have to understand that there's some things that have to fall into place still ahead of time that we may not fully understand. And what we find is, is Ruth's hopeful disposition that, 
she's going she's gonna to have to rely a little bit on things to happen that to her is actually quite unseen. And I think that's what bothers us at times when we are waiting on God, is that we feel like it is our business to know His steps. But actually, that's God's business and our business is to trust. And so often, we try to take it upon ourselves as our business to do what we think is necessary to make it happen. And yet what we find in Ruth is just a good example for us who, again, Ruth is a type of the church. That's you and I. A type of one who was needy. One who was in absolute need. And yet here was the one who was a redeemer and a rescuer. And what we find here, look at verse 14, and we'll read down to verse 18, is just some, some things that we can learn about just in that waiting period, how we need to be, and some things that, that actually uh, our kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus, also lays down for us. And in verse 14, And she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also, he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. In verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, sit still my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And so we, we see a bit of an, uh, uh, now the, the after effects of the discussion there, and what immediately happens is that she recognizes that it's now time to go. You know, all of the, the commitment was set. He was going to do what he needed to do. And now he, she finds herself there laying still at his feet until the morning. And she rises before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And the first thing that we recognize is, as uh, Ruth responds to the opportunity at hand is that she still holds true to her character. She, she kept an exemplary conduct. She, she didn't go out of her way to guarantee some things right there and what we find here is that there's some commitments already made and you know sometimes when commitments are already made sometimes our desires take over and, and it could have very easily been that this this sudden commitment between the two even with the things that were happening that needed to still happen could have been circumvented and they could have just gone ahead and yet what we find is that she had enough character to know when it was time to go and to preserve also the character of Boaz. You know, her discretion in all of this and, and, and Boaz's wisdom actually in response, it shows a greater hope. It, it showed that they were willing to wait because they lived with principle. You see that both their motives were pure in all of this and they were, were concerned about doing right before God but also doing right before others. And, and so often what we do is we build hope by, by just simply enduring in, in doing right. And in the waiting, waiting is not just about sitting. It's about sitting and doing right. 
And in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. But it's in that waiting time that sometimes we can maybe mistrust and maybe even take on and mishandle the opportunities that God has for us. You know, I'll give an example. Sometimes, you know, there's a greater temptation for those who are engaged to suddenly go beyond what God expects. You know, in, there's a, already a commitment and they know the next step is to get married. And so, why wait any longer? There's already a commitment. And yet, you know, in the waiting time of that until, until that day of, of public acknowledgement and public testimony, there's a, there's a need for your character to stand up. And even though that is the next step, to actually wait for the right time and wait so that, that God would be pleased with that. And, and so that exemplary conduct is needful. And, and what it demonstrated, their, their principled living, it actually demonstrates your trust in God during the waiting time. It demonstrates that you will trust God. And you know, you think about David. David was actually like this. You know, David was anointed king. And yet, during that time, there was still a king. Saul was still on the throne. And so, David knew that he was going to be king. But David wasn't going to come and take the kingdom by force. He was going to wait till God's timing. And there were several times even while David was being chased by Saul all over the, the Israelite wilderness and all of the countryside where, where David could have used his force to actually bring himself to the throne. There were, there were those occasions where David could have actually killed Saul. But what did David do? He wouldn't touch God's anointed. You know what the Bible says about David? He behaved himself wisely. And so he had exemplary conduct. And, and I want to encourage you, you know, maybe you're in a time of waiting right now. Maybe your, your waiting time is feeling a little bit more prolonged than you had hoped. And you know what the next thing is. But you know, God expects in your waiting time is that you would just hold yourself to a high account before Him. That you would actually trust Him during the waiting time. And principled living de demonstrates trusting God. And you know, the many people who had great promises from God, many people who had great opportunity found themselves in circumstances where they circumvented that. I think about Abraham and Sarah. Right? God promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. Now, it's difficult to have many nations when you don't even have a child. And God made him wait. And yet, during the process of that, you remember, Sarai concocted a plan. And concocted a plan for Hagar to come in. And, and out of that, uh, that, uh, that, that plan came the, the child Ishmael. And God still, in His graciousness and in His mercy, upheld His promise to Abraham. Still multiplied Ishmael. But we understand the historicity of that. Ishmael became the father of those who would be in great opposition to the promised child, Israel. And we see that playing out even today. 
you understand that that principle living demonstrates trusting God, and it's difficult in the waiting time to remain true, to remain faithful. And what we find, though, is, is her action in this is that she rose up before anyone could know another. She wanted to preserve his testimony and her testimony. And notice what, um, what, notice what, uh, what Boaz then says. He says, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Now, he says that out loud. He says that because there were already others around. And he wanted to make sure, again, that there was nothing untoward thought about Ruth. But he also wanted to keep accountable to those who were already around him. And, and you know, many times when we're waiting for the, the eventual thing to come, we start to wonder on the how, and then we start to then maybe come to a place where we find ourselves where our discretion and is, is becoming overwhelmed by our own desire. You know, desire is a good thing in right things, right? You know, if, you, if there's a right thing in your life that you desire, the Bible says even in the calling, you know, if you desire the office of a bishop, you desire the good thing, right? For, so if you're, maybe some of you who are waiting to be called to ministry and, and God has perhaps called you to ministry and you, you want something to come to be of that, you know, sometimes our desire can outpace our discretion. We're, we're no longer discerning. And we, we ought to have godly discretion about our next steps and our next actions. And, and you can imagine how blessed Boaz must feel. Here, this woman, this younger woman probably in Ruth, chooses to be under his wing of protection. And her contentment to dwell in his security, it was also a sign of her desire to, to place herself in his future. And yet, Ruth's character meant that she wasn't going to allow her own desires to circumvent what was right to do. You know what it was? She showed discretion. You know, her leaving before the night hours, it was an act of preserving Boaz's character. She took it upon herself to go, knowing full well that his word what he, was his bond. She could trust his word. And she didn't need to rely on perhaps entrapment forcing him to, to do what he says by perhaps committing him physically. And what she understood was she needed to downplay her desire and elevate her discretion in the matter. You know, when your discretion is greater than your desire, you know what you find as a result? You'll find integrity. You know, a lot of people allow their desire to run, run free. And before long, there's no longer discretion. You'll, you'll go around. You'll try to, a shortcut. You'll try to guarantee it yourself. And what you find is actually you're forcing something that may not be. And you've got to wait for God's timing. And so when your discretion is greater than your desire, then what you find is integrity. And that's what Ruth had. And what principled living does is... is, is it allows you to have accountability where you choose accountability over anonymity, where you're anonymous. You know, we live in a world where you can easily become anonymous. You know, a lot of people hide behind the keyboard. A lot of people hide behind their social media and enact their different desires 
And they'll go about and they'll live almost a duplicitous life. And they'll go around and, and really, when it comes to it, you can comment and you can make hay and no one even knows who you really are. You know, you, you, you could dial and, and you could have a private number. And all of that to, to sort of just feel like you're just anonymous and you don't have to be held accountable. You know why there's so many people who are so brave behind the, the keyboard? Because there's no accountability. You know, you could hide behind your, your Twitter handle. You, you could hide behind and you, suddenly you're a keyboard warrior for nothing. And what it is, is actually you just, you have no accountability. And, and you're just anonymous. And, and you know what, Boaz could have chosen that, but he announces. And Boaz does something very interesting in, in that he says this, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. You know, it's interesting in saying that, he was actually doing the opposite. There were those around his servants, and we know that, who were around that he announces. He lets them know that nothing untoward has happened here. And Boaz does this very interesting thing here before he heads into town the next morning. He, he secures and protects Ruth's reputation and at the end of the day cares for her well-being. He instructs his servants to tell no one that Ruth came to the threshing floor, but also that he is accountable to those who are observing him. And I think he does this for two reasons. He doesn't want anyone to think anything illicit happened when nothing did. And, or he wants to make sure he is the one that gets to speak to the kinsman redeemer who was, for, who was first in line. He wanted to make sure he got first-hand account of what was actually happening. And what I'm saying is at times we hide behind this guise of privacy. You know, privacy is a big thing, and I understand that there's some things that ought to be private. But, but you know, principled living means we also we embrace accountability. When there's things that ought to be said, we ought to say it, and we ought to say it publicly. And there ought to be an accountability you know, in, in all of those areas of our lives that otherwise we can easily be anonymous in. You know, sometimes we make decisions for the Lord that, that sometimes they are for us privately. But, you know, there's great power in, in, in grabbing those that we can be accountable to and say, hey, you know, the Lord spoke to me about this. And, and, and sometimes even standing up and announcing, you know, with wisdom, that thing that, that God is working on us about. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, he says to, to, to the church, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. You know what that whole, that whole verse is really speaking about is, is relationships of accountability. He's saying, submit you younger, submit yourselves to the elder saying be accountable about some things. You know, be accountable. And, and he says, actually, be subject one to another. And, and there's an accountability. Make yourself accountable to others for your actions. And that's what Boaz was doing in announcing that. But then notice uh, an interesting th thing here in verses 15 and 17. Notice what he says in verse 15. Also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her 
and she went into the city, and, and we know she goes into the city in verse 16. Uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, asks, who, who are you? And she, she says, this is what's happened. And she again says, he's given me six measures of barley, for he said unto me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. And it's interesting, that whole thing of the veil. And what it was is the veil, it was common for women who were unwed in that day to wear a veil. And we, we understand the concept of a veil. We've been to weddings. You know, the, the bride wears a veil so that there's, there's, a, there's a final re- reveal. There's a symbolic there of, that, of that, that, uh, that union that you're fully, now you're fully seen by your, your future spouse. You know, when you remove the veil, it's, it's a, almost a, okay, this is, the, this is one of the, you know me now, you see the makeup, you see everything, and, and there's that idea that the veil was to, was to prevent that, that kind of closeness with everyone. You understand that even in, in God's whole economy of things in the Old Testament, there was the veil that separated man from going into the Holy of Holies. And yet, when God made a way, when Jesus died on the cross, we see that that veil was torn in two. Why? Because now we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Now we can know God. Now we can enter into His presence. And so that, that, that veil that he's, he's referring to Ruth here was something that she wore. As an unwed person, she wore a veil that was a bit of a lightweight mantle. And, and uh, this part was used to thinly cover a woman's face, which was a show of modesty. And to me, it's interesting here that Boaz asks Ruth for the veil. He, he's saying to her, there's no more fear. He's saying to her that actually in the waiting time, it's about closeness now. I will be known to you and you will be known to me. And it was the veil that, that in order for her to get this barley, she had to remove and give to, give to Boaz. And there's a beautiful picture there, I think, of what our waiting time should actually symbolize. It actually should be a growing closeness to the Lord. You see, that removal of, a, of the veil it is a great picture of, of a greater closeness and it's almost a, 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 that, that, that intimacy that we ought to have with our Savior. You know, there's, a, there's that, that exhortation in John chapter 15 that if we abide in Him, that, that we, will be, he'll, he'll bear, we will bear much fruit. And that, that closeness, that abiding that we're supposed to have in Christ is something that He desires and is something that right, that's right to do and what Boaz was saying to Ruth here was, remove your veil so I can give you greater fruitfulness. Because without the removal of the veil, there was nothing to hold the barley. And you know, the, the thing that sometimes we find in the waiting time is becomes a little bit ineffective time is because we're just waiting and we've not realized the purpose. Actually, our waiting time is a drawing to God time. Our waiting time is us revealing more of who we are and Him revealing more of Himself. And there's that picture of the, the barley, you think about it, the, the, some estimate that this barley was about a week's worth 
of, of gleaning these six measures of barley. And what it was, it was, it was Boaz's token to her that actually this is the right step. That you'll be fruitful in the waiting. That, that fruitfulness, that, that waiting time when you do it right is fruitful time for God. That actually this closeness that we now have, you, you no longer have to hide your face from me, Ruth. You're going to be known to me and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And, and Ruth, if you would draw close to me, then, then I'm, going to, I'm going to give you all that you need, all the things that will sustain you in the waiting time. And so, so many times, rather than, than going all out in our closeness to the Lord during our times of waiting, we start to actually sometimes even diminish and start to question whether God's motives are right and whether God's motives for us are pure and whether He's true, going to be true to His Word. And, and rather than being open to God and remove our veil, we suddenly tighten and maybe put other veils on. And suddenly that closeness that we're supposed to have is, is not where it needs to be. And there's, again, that growing closeness with our Redeemer during our waiting time that, that is needful. And what Boaz does is, is rewards Ruth for her commitment that way. And I want to tell you that, that if you draw close to God, He will draw close to you. I want to tell you that, that actually your waiting time is not simply just to sit and wait. It's a drawing, it's a longing for, it's a closeness that God gives an opportunity for in your life. And there ought to be that. And, and what Boaz does is he rewards during that waiting and that abiding. And again, this was indicative for Ruth of her submission to him, but also her confidence in his intent for her. And that, that grows hope. It, it helped her as, as, uh, as she waited for that time. And I know the, the time signatures here are fairly quick, and, and we understand that, that that's not the important thing. The important thing here is that she had to wait. And in that waiting, she, uh, she approached it with a great openness to Boaz. And Ruth's reward was that not only do we find later on that actually this, the, all of the things that were unseen to her, Boaz was active in. We, we see here that, that as she converses, Ruth converses with Naomi, Naomi had, had enough wisdom to share. And what happened was Ruth's reward for her abiding and her closeness, it wasn't just for her, it extended to those around her. And listen, nothing affects our, our, our vicinity. Nothing will affect your home more. Nothing will affect your ministry more. Nothing will affect this community more than if people were just closer to God. You know, you're, you're, you, you'll, you'll see greater fruitfulness. And it extended, you know, the, the whole intent was for this in verse 17, these six measures of barley gave he me, for he said, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. He meant to bless Naomi as well. And he means to bless our households and, and that waiting time and, and that closeness to God as we develop it, it breeds greater, greater confidence also in others to be able to trust God. But then her abiding and her waiting also meant that she needed to be still. 
You know, Naomi tells her this actually. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And you know what, what Naomi's advice to Ruth was, is just sit still. You know, in the waiting time, all of that's occurring, but actually sit still. You know what we, we tend to do? In the waiting time, we try to get active. Right? You, you ever stood in a line and you know it was a little while, what, what, what's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone and you start to send out texts or emails. Or you start to, you know, catch up maybe. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but our, we're programmed to have to fill in our time. When sometimes, actually, what all God wants is for us not to worry and be concerned, but just to sit still. And Naomi's advice was right. She said, sit still. Th this was a time for Ruth to be still and wait. This was a time for that nervous energy of what's going to happen to just calm, calm down a little bit. And, you know, sometimes we're waiting for how things will work out. You ever sit an exam? I, I know many times when I had to, had to do dr my driving test. Now, I'll just confess, I was not a good driver. I have improved over time. My wife will argue with that. But, you know, I, I just was not, I was a nervous driver. And may, I, I, I'll tell you, the, the, more, the most nervous I was wasn't when I was doing the exam, it was when I was waiting for the exam result. And sometimes it's in that that we start to then allow our imaginations to take over. But look at, look at Naomi's understanding of the situation. And here's, here's what sometimes is a good reminder, that in our waiting, that doesn't mean God is still in the unseen, God is working. And he's saying, sit still. And then notice, until thou know how the matter will fall, it's going to come. He says, for the man will not be in rest until we have finished the thing this day. You know, God has his own timing. But God is always at work. And God won't rest until that matter is... But you know, the, the key is this. We've got to let God be God and do his thing. And we've got to do our bit. And our bit sometimes is just to sit still. Our bit sometimes is just to abide, to grow closer. Our bit sometimes is actually just to, to behave well and to do right and not take things that are his to do into our own hands. And actually at the end of the day, that man will not rest. You know, our God won't rest until he will do what he said he will do. When that opportunity and that occasion, God will. He'll bring it to pass. He says to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The Bible tells us to not fret ourselves because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. You know, sometimes we can look at the surrounding circumstances and we can get worried as if God worries. And God won't rest. See, the reality is while Ruth waited, Boaz was on his way to take care of the details. But that's the reality for us too. You know, the reality for us is while we wait, God's already on his way and he's already gone before us. 
And you know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that our responsibility is actually just to commit our way into the Lord. He says, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And this is needful when, when we can see it. But we're told to wait. And actually the key is live principally. Live with principle. Let, let God do His thing and we do what we're supposed to do. Let, let's just wait. Let, let's just grow closer. Let's, not, let, let's grow some, see some fruitfulness in our lives and wait on Him. And let's just sit still and see God do what He said He will do. And you know, waiting time should not be wasted time for the Christian. Waiting time is growing time. And waiting time ought to be one of growing in our, in our deep appreciation for all that God is doing despite us not seeing it. Because that's where God dwells. He dwells in the unseen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time. And Lord, I'm just so glad that you're a God who's, who's at work. Father, sometimes we pray and we wonder, and Lord, if we're honest, we can fret sometimes and get a little bothered with the how. In all actuality, you've already worked it out. You're already on your way. And Father, here we are in, in, in all of your goodness. We can rest in your promises. We can rest in your character and your nature. And Lord, in all of that, you sustain us, Lord, if we allow it. So please help us, Lord, as we head into the week and head into this year. I pray that you'd please bless each one. Father, help us to trust you more and more each day. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name.